Hello, everyone, and thanks for giving us your time today for VR Download. My name is Ian Hamilton. I'm in the Upload VR studios broadcasting to a live YouTube audience. I'm wearing Quest Pro in the United States, joined by my colleague David Heaney in Northern Ireland. It is March 7th, 2023. Henry Stockdale is off recovering from the PlayStation VR 2 launch. Harry Baker is planning out games coverage for the next few months. We've got GDC coming up very soon. And there's been a massive leak of information about Meta's planned roadmap. David Heaney, what are we covering today? Yes, yeah, so the majority of this show is going to be about that Verge report from Alex Heath that revealed Meta's roadmap for the next four years for both VR and AR. But firstly, we're going to talk about a few other things, including the Echo VR fan plea to Zuckerberg with that airplane ad. And we'll also talk about a few important changes coming to VR chat and big screen. So yeah, the vast majority of this episode will be talking about that stuff, but we'll a few other topics we'll have to talk about first. Yeah, let me go find the image of the flight path here. Let's get right into this first bit of news since I spent uh, a fair a fair chunk of my time over the weekend thinking about this and looking at this. Uh, basically got to it right at the end of the week. This happened in the middle of the week last week where uh, basically fans of Echo VR formed this group called Fight for Echo and had been raising money via GoFundMe to basically hire a flight to fly a banner over Meta's headquarters. And I thought it was pretty pretty funny to go on Google Maps, pull up the Google Maps image and go to flightaware.com where they've got this uh, flight listed and line them up over one another. And you can see this green circular path circling what must be dozens or hundreds of times even uh, directly over Meta's headquarters, and the message basically says, Zuck, don't kill VR esports. So uh, I put this little line in my article. I, I turned it into an editorial, basically, uh, because I, I wanted to talk about something here where this is this is a Meta ad, right? This is, this is the, the same thing Meta's planning to do in the Metaverse, sell ad space around you wherever you go. And there's even a comment that we're probably going to talk about at some point about, uh, you know, very Sorrento-like comment to talk about the conversion rate tracking you can do when you're tracking things happening in the metaverse. Well, uh, on Friday, Bosworth basically stood by the decision to close down Echo VR. And uh, I, I talked to the flight company and I talked to one of the organizers for Fight for Echo because I just... Uh, wanted to verify as much as I could uh, that this banner actually flew around. But on Friday, Bosworth said he saw images of the ad. So whether the flight actually flew or not, it doesn't actually matter because Bosworth still got the message uh, and said, no, no, it's still closing. Yeah, I do think it was interesting, though, that um, Andrew Bosworth, Meta CTO for people who aren't aware, did say that he was actually in meetings all day that day. So he claims he didn't even see it. You would expect it given he's CTO. Mark Zuckerberg would probably have been in a lot of those same meetings. So I would be unfortunate if they didn't actually see it. Yeah. So they, he got the message. Uh, and I still I wonder what the rest of the story is there, right, with Echo VR. There's more we're not on understanding about the planned roadmap. Uh, I know there was that Carmack comment that he he basically replied on Twitter saying that tactically they they probably should have said what they were working on next for Echo VR, uh, but you know I I think there's probably a very good reason why they haven't actually confirmed that as well. So 
uh, we're, we're going to stay on that and try to figure out what's going on on an ongoing basis. But uh, yeah, I, I found there being some irony here in having to spend $3,000 as fans to get your message to the, C, uh, the CEO of Meta. Uh, and the fact that Meta can make that a much more efficient process in the future via, via the Metaverse. Yeah, it's certainly an interesting interplay there. So should we talk about some of those changes coming to VR chat and big screen? Yep. Let's talk about VR chat getting support for native eye tracking. And I think we'll also be discussing big screen avatars getting that later this year. What changed here? Because um, Meta had hand tracking first, and it needed to be in part of the OpenXR spec to kind of see broad adoption, I would think. How are these platforms approaching hand tracking and then, by extension, the openness of face and eye tracking? Well, it doesn't actually really seem to be related to OpenXR, to be honest. It's still done through the the meta integration, uh, the Oculus integration for Unity. It's just that these platforms aren't going to prioritize features that only one platform has until they get enough time. So it's not going to be their initial priority. But as you kind of hinted there, yes, late last year, VRChat added support for the controller-free hand tracking on Quest headsets. And now they plan to, they say that they will, adds native support for eye tracking on Quest Pro and on PC head threats, headsets through OSC. Now, obviously, this is something that was already possible if, if you use kind of custom integrations for VR chat. But this means that even without a PC, someone who has a Quest Pro will be able to go straight into the VR chat Quest app and have their eyes shown in VR just as their fingers cannot be shown in VR. There are not yet, though, any plans for face tracking support. Currently, face tracking and eye tracking and are supported in Meta's Horizon suite, you know, Horizon Workrooms, Horizon Home, Horizon Worlds. But we haven't seen other social VR apps really adopt those features yet until obviously this announcement. And as you say, uh, Big Screen also is revamping their avatars. You can see their old system here and their new system here that has simulated arms and now has necks. And they say that these new avatars have been designed to support those future features. And they specifically confirmed that hand tracking will come to big screen later this year and eye tracking. But again, neither VR chat nor big screen have confirmed that they are working on support for Quest Pro's face tracking yet. Interesting. So uh, I, I understand that they're not related, but I still think there's like a, there's a, there's a rollout of support for hand tracking that's more broadly adopted at this point than either eye tracking or face tracking. Are we going to see kind of like a path there where hand tracking is going to be pretty widely adopted pretty quickly and this is going to be on a much longer path towards, you know, is eye tracking going to be, is that going to be the path? Like hand tracking is going to be 90 or 100% of users and then eye tracking is going to be some subset of that and then face tracking is going to be a subset of that. Is that what we're looking at going forward? Yeah, because obviously every Quest headset supports hand tracking, whereas the only Quest headsets that support eye and face tracking is the Quest Pro, which you know we'll talk about it more a bit later, but we can pretty much almost certainly say that the Quest Pro has not sold many units. It is not a successful market product. So developers aren't going to focus 
on the features that are only available there, just as Quest Pro has had foveated rendering since launch, and yet almost no apps on the Quest Store support that foveated rendering. Developers don't put their time and effort priority into features that only a tiny subset of their users have. So hand tracking is something that's been around for a few years, yes, but developers are only now kind of even getting the time to start to adopt that in these major platforms. That will be a really big, important change for big screen though, because it's it's an ideal app for just being able to not have to pick up your controllers. And, you know, if you're just kind of watching Amazon Prime or YouTube or Disney Plus with someone, you can kind of just sit back with your headset on and not have to also hold the controllers. So I was messing with the hand tracking right before you came in here, and you are using, what is it, is it 2.1 we're up to now? Is that right? Yes. So I was really impressed by this. I mean, like, we talk about the fact that the arms aren't tracked, and you talked about that here, but you can see the mismatch now. Like, before this would break, uh, this would break the tracking entirely, but now I can see, like, this is me gripping my arm, and you can see how it isn't, like perfectly lined up with the relocation and there's even better examples of showing this mismatch but like even showing this is a step forward uh i think over the way it was before and like there's just my hands are doing a lot of things here that just were never ever done before in this studio and uh i don't know like closing that gap between this and having real tracked arms is still another giant leap forward right yeah, that might be a big reason why developers are starting to support it more. Hand tracking 1.0 was not particularly impressive. It was obviously if you've never tried any sort of hand tracking before, it's magic to be able to see your fingers in VR without controllers. But from a practical perspective, the accuracy and consistency and jitter was just not good enough for a lot of use cases. We saw some developers really happy when 2.0 dropped because it made some of those apps like Unplugged be become really viable for the first time. And then 2.1 has gotten to the point where like you say, now it's just really a lot higher quality than a lot of people would expect if they haven't tried it in a while. If, if you're one of those people who maybe tried hand tracking a long time ago and hasn't tried it recently, I would definitely recommend seeing just how far it has come. Obviously, though, it's still going to, it still has a long way to go. It is still not great in less than ideal lighting conditions. If you're in low light, if you're in a situation where the room in front of you, the color of it is very, very similar to your hands, if there's low contrast, it's very. It's still far from perfect, but I think it's good enough where these developers can start to build around it. We're ready to talk about the Verges report. Get into that big bit of news, or is there anything else you want to talk about from the comments? Just having a quick look at some of the comments here. I guess the last thing I would say though is I do think I'm surprised we haven't seen any announcement about arm tracking either from Meta or any of these other companies. You know the these cameras can see your hands, these cameras can see your arms, and it would seem to add something to, to track it. You know, people are always talking about when are they going to add leg tracking? When are they going to add body tracking? Let's start body part by body part. I would really, I would love to just see elbow tracking come. Maybe that's something we'll see on Quest 3. All right, well, let's get into uh, this next section here with the AR stuff. That's going to be the longer-term timelines out of Meta, right? Um, and at some point, we'll need to talk about Andrew Bosworth's comments made in his AMA on Friday. I think we'll talk about that at some point in this section. But he talked about, uh, in his sort of end-of-week wrap up people focusing too much on the timeline and there was this key comment in there that for every device they've shipped they've probably canceled two 
And I, I thought that was an interesting uh, bit of information to kind of always keep in your head when it comes to talking about Meta's upcoming products. Yeah, I think personally what I read from what he's saying there is that he's, he's trying to get across the distinction between canceling a product and canceling a candidate for a product. So, you know, Quest 3 or Quest Pro 2, they are products, but there may be multiple candidate hardware that end up, one of them gets picked as being those products. So, you know, he's not saying that this, saying that a product is reported is, is wrong. It's just that if there is a specific hardware candidate for that product that gets canceled, it doesn't mean the entire thing is. But yeah, let's get straight in and have a discussion about this huge report. So if you're not aware, uh, Alex Heath from The Verge r- reported last week on a meta meeting where it seemed like meta's AR VR division had an all hands where the leaders kind of talked everyone through their roadmap, their strategic priorities, their what they want to achieve with Quest 3 later this year. And that's been essentially almost entirely leaked to The Verge. You can see our reporting on The Verge's report on our website, or you can go directly to The Verge's report. But it does seem to be very comprehensive and, and tells us a lot about what we can expect from Meta over the next few years. And um, we'll talk at the end here about the what was said in relation to VR. But first, let's discuss what was said about glasses and AR, because as much as Meta has this Quest division, it also, according to an earlier report from Reuters, spends more on more of its funding on researching glasses products and AR than it actually does on VR. So reportedly, uh, there's the current Ray-Ban stories, if you're not aware, are just camera glasses that you can buy. They are regular sunglasses that you can press a button on the side and take photos and videos, which will then be synced to your phone. From a first-person view, that means you can have your two hands in a, fo- in a video or photo, whereas before, if you're taking a photo with your phone or a video with your phone, you kind of have to only have one hand at a time. And reportedly what will happen in the third generation of this product in 2025 is that they will get a HUD, a heads-up display that can be used for things like scanning QR codes, uh, showing your phone notifications, translating real-world text in real time, and other such use cases that are contextually useful. To be clear, this will not be AR. It will not anchor virtual objects into your real world, according to this report. It will not you know, be able to overlay uh, text onto billboards. This will simply be a he- a small contextual heads up display, and reportedly the control system for this product will be the neural wristband that Meta has been showing off its research towards for a few years now. That will allow you to control an imaginary D pad in your hand and make other swiping gestures, even when your hand is down at your knee, completely out of view of any kind of camera based sensor. Yeah, uh, Meta sent me one of the first generation Ray-Ban stories, sunglasses. I integrated them into my life for a little while, and then they kind of uh, stopped getting used. Uh, Very similar story to VR headsets in various generations, right? Uh, It just it's it's also kind of true for AirPods for some people, right? You go through periods where you don't wear them, or rather, the watch I think is a bigger candidate for kind of the battery runs down a little too low on the watch and it's not getting you as far through the day. So you just start leaving it on the charger more often. Like this isn't the, the things we talk about with friction in VR are not alone, you know, a problem for VR. It's a problem for all of personal computing uh, with a battery at least. Um, 
these things, 30 seconds or 60 second videos, I think it was immediately like a few months after launch, they upgraded to 60 seconds, 60 seconds of video recording for like active sports. Uh, if you wanted to maybe capture some cool sporting uh, you're doing, I don't know, 60 seconds is still a little tight. You need it to be up to one, two minutes, uh, I think, to really get some of those those scenes you want. You don't want to be fidgeting with your your glasses while you're in the middle of uh capturing something cool with your glasses but it's also such a a single like restrictive use case uh but i described this thing on previous shows and i just want to get it across you say hey facebook to activate this and they've since changed companies since the launch of this product and how they approach wake works and uh the permissions of like always on monitoring are going to be a big thing we're going to have to watch uh, for Meta going forward because I, it was just a weird product to come right at the end of Facebook and right before the launch of Meta. And there's opportunity for them to change their approach here. Yeah, so to be clear, the generation, the third generation that will reportedly have a HUD is reportedly coming in 2025. But next year, there will be a reportedly a second generation that still is just camera glasses no display of any sort but will upgrade the camera system so that might mean longer videos it might mean higher quality photos and videos that's what i think we should probably expect from it and i i would say it's pretty certain that that's when they will in that product change the wake word to hey meta or something similar but i I, you know it's, it's just such an interesting fact that that's just such a single use product that really is how many people are actually interested in it. And then in the third generation, it becomes this entirely different thing that it, you know, is almost like a new class of product. Some people point out that you know Google Glass may have done this a decade ago, but the difference here is that we're talking about something that would be in a normal pair of Ray-Bans, a normal pair of glasses or sunglasses, and that would cost a fraction of the price. Google Glass was something like $1,500, and these start at around $300. So just to... Recap for some people, there is a light on these glasses that activates when you turn on the recording feature. So you're letting everyone else know that you're recording when that light is on. But uh, after having, I saw Crispy's question asking, what is the use case for this? And the way I tested it and used it was I went out and played catch with my son. And uh, it's very well. I think Ian's just lost connection there. Or maybe I have test wow what is the hand gesture that that accesses the menu something kicks me out to the menu um the left the left menu gesture so uh no i was playing catch with my son and it's very well stabilized video it's really incredible uh how well stabilized it is and uh that was my one like exclusive use case was i thought that was cool footage um to to have this great like point of view uh video of this this game of catch basically uh but i took the glasses out and wore them just as normal sunglasses out on the baseball fields with other families around and i felt pretty uncomfortable pretty quickly about wearing those glasses in that context around other people and it it it's partially what contributed to me stop you know not using them frequently um so it's it's I don't, people were freaked out and creeped out by Google Glass. A little camera on your glasses with a little light on it. I don't, I don't know. There's still social norms, years of social norms to change 
uh, before anybody's going to feel comfortable doing that. I don't know. I really do agree that the, the light should be a lot more obvious. It should be a lot brighter. But at the same time, if you go to a typical city these days, there are people holding up their phones, clearly recording TikToks or other videos all the time. You go into a typical crowded city street, and that expectation of privacy that might have existed in the Google Glass era is completely gone. How often do you go to a train station or on a train or on a plane and someone is already recording a video with their phone? Yes, it's a bit more obvious to hold up your phone like this. But phones don't even have, you know, a, a video uh, light that shows you when they're recording themselves. That's something that never arrived on smartphones. Yes, there's a, a sound effect that plays if you have your sound on, if you take a photo on the likes of iPhones, but people can just have that off. But I definitely think, yeah, this should be a lot brighter. But when people are asking for, you know, use cases, it's just the ability to take a, fi- a picture or a video without having to take your phone out of your pocket. You see something cool that you want to record and you don't, you, maybe you're holding stuff with your other hands or... Maybe you just don't want to take your phone all the way to your pocket, open the camera app and press it. You just tap the button on the side of your glasses. I agree that as a single use product, that's not actually really something you and the vast majority of people want to spend hundreds of dollars on. But what I think does get interesting is once you do add those other use cases, once you add the HUD that lets you scan QR codes and see your phone's notifications, then I think it becomes something useful. Just as if smartphones only had one of their use cases, they wouldn't be particularly useful either. Yeah, uh, very good analogy there. I think we're ready to move on from Ray-Ban specifically, but there are the the wristbands to talk about and how that relates to the transition from smart glasses to, to AR. So uh, as I've joked previously, DMs with Heaney, I have spent a ridiculous amount of uh, my mental willpower debating with Heaney on the exact definition of where we draw the line between smart glasses uh, and AR. And I totally understand that like tracking six stuff around you is kind of the key key line. Um, but we're going to have a transition in glasses form factors where it's, it's going to get blurrier even than it is now as we approach full, you know, six stuff tracking all the time. And uh, after that, then we've got, the field of view question when when do ar glasses that you wear throughout the day become really useful uh on that field of view chart going from like you know 70 degrees up to 110 degrees we still haven't seen that field of view question really answered uh we, we don't know what when field of view becomes super compelling in ar where worn out in the real world those are huge problems to still solve and i just want to preface this whole discussion on you know we know that that's a five to ten year 20 year project to get all those questions answered and running parallel to it is this question uh do you want to run through what this is yeah so as i was discussing when we started this segment this is the neural wristband that meta has been discussing openly the research of it intercepts the neural signals going from your brain to your hand so that it can precisely sense your finger movements down to incredibly precise precision. That means that in the same way that today we manipulate a mouse on a computer screen by making tiny minute movements with our hands, with this the idea is that you can manipulate in 2D space in front of you or even in 3D space 
uh, user interface using the tiniest movements of your fingers. So here in this example, you see someone essentially using a virtual joystick by just moving their finger like this. Uh, there are obviously they can kind of swipe along to the left or the side, and because of because of the precision of this, because it's not reliant on camera tracking or or anything like that, it could potentially be the input device for AR glasses. You can't use voice for AR glasses because no one wants to be on a bus and read out the text message that they want to send their partner. You can't use just camera based hand tracking because no one wants to hold their hands up in the air like this for hours on end typing. In the air, that's just going to get exhausting. It's not going to be, you know, able to rely on all of the different types of lighting conditions. You need a, an input device that is comfortable to use for hours on end and and private enough to use in public. The, the key to this wristband is that the, the gestures that it can sense are so precise that others looking at you won't even have any idea what you're actually doing. So this is reportedly going to be bundled with these non-AR smart glasses in 2025 with a second generation of it, then bundled with Meta's first true AR glasses, which, according to this Verge report, should arrive around 2027. Now, to be clear, the first generation of these glasses, by all reports and all indications, will be limited and very expensive, based on the types of components we're talking about here. With micro-LED projectors, we're talking thousands of dollars, likely, for the first generation. These are going to be for innovators, developers, early adopters. It will be likely well into the 2030s until these AR glasses are something that the average person can afford and, and want to use. Uh, th the key is that Meta will apparently continue to still sell a line of more basic smart glasses. And just for anyone confused, the difference between smart glasses and AR glasses is that smart glasses can show you a little HUD, a little pop-up notification, whereas AR glasses can position virtual objects in your real world. Holograms, virtual objects, whatever you want to call them, that's the difference. Yeah, and it's a pretty big one, right? It's the difference between uh, 3DOF headsets, VR headsets, and 6DOF VR headsets, right? Headsets that you can only turn your head in, look up and down, and ones who can actually move through a virtual world. You know, you don't actually move through that virtual world. You don't do this movement very often when you're just enjoying content. But even little micro movements you would notice very quickly if you didn't have that feature. And these limited smart glasses devices are going to feel like that uh, from the ground up uh, almost all the time until they get that, that they cross that gap. Um, last year, I saw... Thomas Reardon, the head of the Control Labs team that is building this wristband technology for Meta. And Andrew Bosworth was sitting there. Mark Zuckerberg was sitting, was sitting there. And Bosworth made this comment that Reardon could replace his keyboard with this input scheme. Now, I, I thought that was the most interesting comment from the entire time that I was there with uh, Meta. Uh, and, and seeing this stuff, but it, and then you, Reardon also made this hint. He said, I don't want to talk about product plans right now, but we've had very good results is more or less the, the implication. That was the most they were willing to say, but how they've moved along this path of turning this into a product. Uh, this whole thing, I think has the heads of Meta very excited about impacting the future of technology. And I was just listening to Bosworth's comments from last Friday in his AMA, where he basically calls EMG uh, 
the the future of you know he says it's going to be a very long path but it's going to have very big big impact he he did chart that course all the way back to the original development of the qwerty keyboard layout right this is how significant this will remake communication and so up at the highest levels of meta over there they're trying to figure out what is like the easiest way to train a user to interact in a complex way with this device tracking the signals you're sending down your arm to your hand right they're they're working out from the very base layer exactly how to build this platform up uh what was confusing to me and it's still unclear is just how this input mechanism is going to compare to quest touch pro or or touch pro and the touch controllers you've got kind of like a like a low medium expensive type of input i would expect this to be pretty expensive um if you if you want it to all be you know doing what they want it to do the other thing uh that i that bothers me or like that i i can't wrap my head around is we're on what is it series eight of the apple watch or something like that uh so there we're in the eighth generation or so of the apple watch sitting on the wrist doing everything you need for a standalone watch platform in its eighth generation and here is the status of meta's competing product line and i i i know it's not doing the same things right now but they're both converging in that same you know, direction two or three years into the future. And I, I want to make sure that context is there when we're talking about the competition. Yeah, so it's very interesting to note that this report did say that Meta will offer a smartwatch version of this wristband. So uh, the most affordable version will just be you know, the no display on the front, it's just used as your input device for your glasses. But there will be a, a higher tier option that you can choose according to this report that will offer you uh, smartwatch-like functionality and actually even have a front-facing camera so you can take video calls in that sense or you can kind of project what you're seeing as a first-person view as a video call. And just to kind of answer one of your questions and the commenter's question about where, how this fits into other input devices, so James O'Loughlin says, what does this afford over a controller with a touchpad and joystick and six-degree of freedom tracking? Well, the fact that you would wear it around in your daily life, you go to the shop, you go on the bus, you go on the train, you're commuting around, you're in the real world throughout a city. You're not going to carry around a touch controller in your hand because it's just obviously impractical. The idea is this keeps your hand freed up so that you can use it for your daily life, but then instantaneously also use it to control your glasses. So say you're using it for navigation, for example. In smart glasses, you're going to see a little mini map pop up just like in a video game HUD mini map that shows you the path to where you want to go without having to pull up your phone. If anyone's used Google Maps in a city, you know it's kind of awkward to be walking along people and kind of look down at your phone in your pocket and figure out, okay, where am I and what direction is that building compared to where I am? With this, you'll see a mini map. With true arrow glasses, you'll see floating blue arrows on the actual streets that show you exactly where you need to walk. And that's a really good illustration of the difference between smart glasses and AR glasses. But the idea is that you can't carry around a game controller with you in the real world. This is not supposed to be for a home VR device. This is for glasses that you go out and use in your real typical life. 
Jack saying, my junior high schooler can type with two thumbs faster than I can with a full QWERTY keyboard, two years of typing class, and a career slave to typing admin paperwork. I appreciate that as well. Uh, right there, there, there's an old joke in technology that people who are young when these technologies roll out are not the same users 20 years in as you get the, the people who have to learn this fresh for the first time. Uh, and for some people, as this technology rolls out, right, it's going to, you know, I wonder who it's going to leave behind or who it's going to bring to the fold, because that's <sighs> one thing I didn't describe with the glasses was that wake word becoming integrated into my life. Right. I have Siri around my house. A lot of people have Google or Alexa. Uh in their homes, having it in one room of your house is not the same as having a personal assistant in every room of your house. The, the level of integration into your brain or your, your, like, your routine changes when you have the personal assistant with you everywhere you go. And I noticed it when I was wearing the Ray-Ban Story of Sunglasses I was walking around outside and I saw a pretty sunset and I thought, uh, hey, Facebook to myself. And I wasn't wearing the glasses at the time. That's the difference in augmentation that we're in for. This device, and I think Car John Carmack and others have talked about this idea of having uh, even uh, telescopic vision. If you add even the slightest bit of magnification to your vision, you're talking about like superpowers. You're talking about true human augmentation in a way that we we don't really have a wide understanding about, right? Um, I do think that the wristband and the glasses are going to have stories that, you know, AR as it's understood right now are things floating in your space. But that's a different use of the word augmentation than enhanced vision or having, as as Zuckerberg suggested, a, a third limb. Uh, he's, you know, I I direct. It was one of my first questions to him when I met him was, "Do you think we're actually going to get to the the place where you're like operating a third arm virtually?" And it seems like they they really think they're going to get there. Yeah, it's fascinating to think that once this device gets to the point where. You know, they've described some of their demos where you don't even actually need to move your fingers. You just need to think about moving your fingers. And so someone who I think one of their demos showed someone who didn't have the full amount of fingers able to control fingers that they did not actually have simply by thinking about it. Because the key to this is that it's not actually tracking your finger movement. It's tracking what your brain is telling your fingers to do via the electrical signals passing through your wrist. It's, you know, very sci-fi sounding. But because of that subtle difference, it, it does mean in over time, as long as you're just thinking about it, you don't even need to make the movement. And, and you could imagine that you'd start even thinking about your finger controlling something in the distance. And even by that thought, you're able to do this very precise manipulation. So it, it's one of those, we're going to have to see how Apple, what technologies Apple debuts with its headset. I'm going to be really interested to see what accessibility features Apple launches with from day one. Um, because I know they have a very like strong and big accessibility effort across Apple, right? It's it's built into every layer of their iOS product, a completely touchscreen device that can be operated 
by a, a variety of uh, people with with various things that they need to account for. Like you can you can uh, just the the accessibility menu is incredibly deep over on the iOS uh, ecosystem, and I know other platforms have been working to get there. But like one of the questions I've had for a long time is whether we're going to have uh, one-to-one sign language, right, in VR. And I've met with people who sign and you talk about there's a whole variety of hand motions and gestures that are just left uh, off of current systems. Um, I saw people in the comments talking about maybe this being able to do one-to-one precision hand tracking. We've had tough times talking about this stuff because we're at the very forefront of all of this rolling out. But the type of tracking this does is not the same as optical tracking. There are different approaches. But at the end of the day, we're likely to have a a mesh of both, right? You're going to combine what's coming out of this with what's coming out of the cameras. And you're going to get an even more intimate picture of like exactly what's going on. And there's key things like little like touching against a uh, a flat surface, right? Doing a touchscreen anywhere that I wonder if is going to be solved by having this level of tracking as well. I suspect that optical tracking with depth sensors is going to get good enough to do that before we had this arrive. And this is not going to be really necessary for that. And, you know, when we talk about what Apple's going to do, the key is to remember that Apple is solving a different problem. Reportedly, Apple has shelved its AR glasses. Apple is not intending to anytime soon ship AR glasses. So what it's developing is a headset for indoor use. And when you're developing an indoor use product like Quest, for example, Quest Pro, Quest 3, that's a very different set of constraints than what these Ray-Bans and what these eventual AR glasses are trying to solve, which is an outdoor product that you can use, you know, outdoors for your daily life. And that kind of comes into the interplay of whether you use a voice assistant as well, because it's one of those things where when you're in your home, you can tell your voice assistant anything, but what are you really comfortable saying out loud on a bus or a train? Yeah. Um, that brings me to the, the back to the generational thing of eight generations into the Apple watch. Right. And when I, talked to meta execs they talked about this input mechanism being more for ar but going back to the question of how can i use this with mixed reality and with vr and am i going to wear this like is the first uses for this 24 hours a day indoors basically not not for ar for glasses because you know we're we're told this is going to ship in non-ar glasses first it's not necessarily ar it's just that it's in glasses Mm, okay. Well, let's move on from just, this and get the, into the VR section as soon as the we last, can. Yeah, the last thing I was going to bring up is just a few people in the comments still not quite understanding this and talking about, um, you know, questions like, won't people wonder why you're waving your hands in the air? To be crystal clear, the whole point of this is that your hands aren't in the air. They're down by your side. You see in this picture here, when this person's sitting, their hand is just down on their knee, on their lap. When you're standing, your hand will just be down next to your pocket, resting, completely at rest. These micro motions happening in your finger without having to even lift your arm at all. Just wanted to clarify that one point. Yeah, the demo I I was given, you know, the thing I witnessed firsthand was the the researchers who are building this technology, who have practiced with the wristbands and the prototypes of it, basically doing an endless runner game directly in front of me. And that's like any of these tempo run type games where you're able to swipe left, swipe right, or maybe even tap to like jump. You could, you know, three very, very simple actions. And 
the first demonstration from them showed them actually moving their fingers. They're sending neurons down their arm to tell their fingers where to move. And then the wristband has learned that each of those, you know, neurons sent down the arm is associated with those specific actions. And they're playing the endless runner game that way. Then they switch to another mode and show that they've trained themselves to send the neurons down their arms without needing to move their fingers as they go. And they're, you're seeing up on the screen the character go left, the character go right. And in that particular demonstration, it wasn't 100% perfect, right? It wasn't, they weren't going where they expected to go, right? That's, it's the same sort of like, I don't know. I've seen those types of demos before in technology with anything that is in that experimental phase. Like the number of times I've come to a demo station and found a VR hardware malfunction is too big to count. So I can't judge, uh, I can't judge what I saw based on it not working on command like that multiple times. But what I can convey is everyone in the top leadership meta believes that this is as fundamental a shift as the keyboard. Yeah, so I think we're ready now to talk about the VR part of the Verge's report. And we'll also talk about Meta cutting the price of Quest Pro from $1,500 to $1,000. And we'll talk about a comment that Meta's CTO, Andrew Bosworth, made about the potential market lifespan of Quest 2. Yeah, thank you everyone for tuning in. I loved seeing everyone. I think we saw Belfast out there. I saw Canada. There were a couple Kuwait, I think, I saw in our list. I love seeing where everyone is from um, in our comments, the global audience that we have. Thank you all. This is going to be a big section. A lot of things to get into here and talk about. Um, why don't you start here and I'll save up uh, some of my commentary. Okay, so I'll just do a quick rundown of what's happened here. So I'll start with the official news, which is that Quest Pro, after less than four months, well, just over four months actually, on the market, has been cut from $1,500 to $1,000, a one-third cut in price. We'll talk about what that means more later, but I think you can pretty confidently say that that was not done as a random decision. They obviously were not selling anywhere near enough at $1,500 that to justify keeping that price that now leaves quest pro at one thousand dollars so that's an official change the rest that we'll talk about here is from that same verge report of the apparent leaked internal meta roadmap so it's not official but it's highly likely to be true based on the you know past veracity of alex heath from the verge's reporting so what's reportedly happened is firstly meta has sold nearly 20 million Quest headsets. That includes Quest 1, Quest 2, and Quest Pro. But the vast majority of those, based on what we know, will be Quest 2. So that is a remarkable number when you compare it to the fact that around 20 million Xbox Series X and S have been sold, and around 32 million PlayStation 5s have been sold. So the Quest headsets are right up there from an install base, at least, with those next-gen consoles. The other thing that came out in this report is that Quest 3 is reportedly much thinner, twice as thin, and twice as powerful than Quest 2, but slightly more expensive. And based on a comment that Zuckerberg made in October, and based on this comment, we can say that Quest 3 will probably be the price starting around $500. 
The other thing is that because there's this $500 entry point is obviously a lot higher than what Quest 2 started at, which was $300, Meta reportedly plans a cheap accessible headset for next year that they say will be uh, at the lowest price point they can provide. They say to pack the biggest punch we can at the most attractive price in the VR consumer market. The last thing that was part of this report is that the Quest Pro candidate that was apparently planned for next year has been canceled, as in the Quest Pro 2 potentially. And instead, Meta seems like, according to this report, they are focusing on a much further out but much higher spec Quest Pro replacement that will eventually launch with the photorealistic codec avatars and much higher resolution displays. So basically what that's saying when you put that together is that the next Quest Pro is pushed out a lot further than it would have been otherwise, but with a lot more impressive features than it would have had. So a couple things here. I've got a video of on our VR trailers channel, a six minute video of most of Andrew Bosworth's key comments from his Instagram AMA, the CTO of Meta, making comments there at the end of the week about the roadmap, about the EMG sensor, about uh, all of this stuff. So uh, there's a basically six minutes of comments over there. And we'll talk about a couple of the key ones here. Things like years away, like these, the next version of uh quest quest pro sequel looks to be like it's years away i'm going to throw this video up real quick uh of the codec avatars now a good time for it uh david for us to show that real quick zuckerberg's demo of the codec avatars. yeah the codec avatars yeah, yeah so we'll just give a bit of context here this is those photorealistic avatars that meta has been showing research of for years that according to this report should arrive in the next version of Quest Pro. But to be clear, that is years away. The next version of Quest Pro, years away, but will have apparently this very impressive technology. So these second generation avatars are, are pretty amazing, right? They're much closer to how you might want to show up in a setting like a work meeting. So I made one of myself. Now we've made them a lot more expressive. And not just simple things like looking left, right, up, down but also the nonverbal cues that we rely on to communicate with each other and understand tone. Things like raising an eyebrow, squinting, uh, widening my eyes, or scrunching my nose. You know, these avatars are way better at capturing those subtleties that define physical interactions. They're just much more natural. And being able to control the lighting on the avatars adds another dimension of life to them. When we move the light around, you can see how it interacts with my hair, it reflects on my skin, and you can even see it in my eyes. All right, we're back. So that was uh, the demo showing Mark Zuckerberg himself getting codec avatar scanned. And then Bosworth's comments uh, basically recently is telling us that... Um, hold on, my phone is going off in the middle of the show. Yeah, so Mark, Mark Zuckerberg's comments recently are, are suggesting that this is going to... Be it. All right. There's a lot of things that that we need to talk about. Like this, th th these avatars. If you get scanned by Meta System, is this going to get attached to the Meta Verified subscription program? Like, are you going to go and get yourself scanned for uh, future headsets, and is it going to be attached to your scan specifically? Is that the path here? 
Yeah, I mean, when you first spoke to the Codec Avatars team years ago, they did say that that's going to be something that's going to have to be here. There's going to have to be a verification system that means that other people can't impersonate you because, you know, we've seen what some of the current AI voice changing systems are like. You combine that with this and someone can essentially pretend to be you. They will very clearly have to be locked to your identity for something that can be shipped. But I think that's the least of the concerns, you know, just getting this technology actually ready to ship, actually making it so that you can use a phone or maybe, you know, their own smartwatch to scan your face and bring it into this technology is going to be the main focus first. And yeah, I just want to be very clear to people watching again that this is something that is supposed to be quite a few years away, perhaps three or four or more years away. So then the question becomes, what does the upgrade path look like for the current Quest Pro? So I saw the demo that we just showed to our viewers. I, I saw it firsthand, went inside the headset that they currently had, the industrial-grade prototype headset. And this was after a long day at Meta headquarters where I saw all the research programs. And what I, what I felt like I saw between the EM, they showed the EMG wristband demoed on another person. They gave really, really impressive spatial audio demos where like they showed how they could capture audio spatially and then play it back for you. And you, you would have a hard time telling what was pre-recorded or what's actually happened directly in front of you. So they basically had demos that said, Hey, we actually have the technology for an AirPods. And then they showed us a demo that said, hey, we actually have the technology for a watch. And then we went over to another area and they had the Kodak Avatars demo. And what that looked to me like was, hey, we have the technology to do fully one-to-one VR holographic phone calls. Um, But I expected at the end of all of this, uh, you know, Mark Zuckerberg or Andrew Bosworth to give this demo and show this technology working on the Quest Pro that they had just shown us at the beginning of the day. And they yeah, did. to be very clear, the demo you were shown was rendered on a PC, not a standalone headset. That the, the yes, it was talking very about, far. That, I think that's very that, important to point out. Absolutely. And, and the, uh, the head of the whole research program that's building these avatars outlined for me during, you know, so I went from this demo that's running from a PC and then said to them, what's it going to take for this to run on standalone like you've got? And they outlined how there's these two, you know, three, uh, was it three miracles that they say are away now? Three or four miracles? I think it was, it went from 10 miracles to five miracles. Five miracles, yeah. So these miracles they need to solve for this to run in fully standalone VR. The, the reason we're focusing so much on this is some of the rumors out of Apple's camp is that they're working on their version of this technology as well, that they've got uh, avatars that are pretty close, but some of the internal demos apparently haven't gone like well. Uh, are we going to have one-to-one phone calls first? How, what are the use cases for those one-to-one phone calls? How do you have multiple people in the call with you? These are things that we've heard like FaceTime might be able to solve. Like you could have a FaceTime call with, I don't know, nine people on it represented over audio. It would be way too crazy to have a voice call like that. But you could have one avatar represented in this hyper-realistic way, hypothetically, right? Hypothetically speaking. Yeah. I when think do we get Sailor hardware that does this, Heaney, David? 
Yeah, it sounds like from the rumors that Apple may be able to achieve it in their headset coming this year that's expected to be priced around $3,000. But it sounds like Meta is saying that, you know, they pitched the Quest Pro for this kind of use case, for virtual meetings, for having this eye and face tracking technology that let it, that you feel like you're somewhat in the same room as another person. But they're using these avatars that we're using right now, these incredibly cartoonish basic avatars. And I think what Meta has essentially decided is that if they're going to do another one of these, there's no point in just having slightly better face tracking and better you know, resolution, but with these same old avatars. You need to deliver on that research they've been showing, that video we just showed for so long, even if that means that this headset comes out in three or four years, because at least then it actually delivers on the groundbreaking technology that may one day replace video calls. And so some people in the comments have, have asked the, the question, you know, what's the advantage of this over a video call? And that is the, the major point here. On a video call, you see a 2D version of someone on a little rectangle in your hand. With this technology, if this can be shipped, you feel like you're sitting across from the other person. For the same reason that today you don't stay, stay in your room all day and only video call people, for the same reason that it feels different to be in person with someone than it does to see them on a little rectangle, this technology is supposed to bridge that gap to make it so that when you can't be in person with someone, it feels a lot more like you really are than today's technology can do. Yeah, it's a lot of people think about the extremes of these technologies and go, you know, I actually wouldn't use that too much. But that's kind of missing the point. And what what's cool is the ability to kind of have the whole range of available options to you hey, I'm going to go voice only right now because I want to go play a video game. Or now I actually want to show my real face uh, and be present with you because I want to have a co-watching experience and feel like I'm laughing at the same time that you're laughing to the the show. Uh, or have, you know, it's the same reasons. I'm curious about the context people turn background filters on or you know turn uh facial filters on while doing a live video call like there are cases for like the every single example i just had right and being able to quickly shift those contexts on the fly is kind of the like the the communications platform all of these companies are working towards i still don't think that's something people are going to choose though if you can feel like you're sitting across from a friend who's at the other side of the country you're not going to want to be on voice call with them for the same reason that you know, the, if you're with a friend in the same city and you want to hang out with them, yes, sometimes when you don't have the time or energy, you're going to hang out on a voice call or a video call. But, you know, if they're down the street, you're going to walk down the street and see them. There is something completely different to actually sitting next to someone versus all of these remote technologies. And I just don't think you'll want to sit and see some a little 2D version of someone on a rectangle no, in front of you. I, wait, well, I want to make sure we, we contextualize that, right? Like uh 10 years 20 years i don't know what, what our timeline is do you think we're going to get to a version of this studio where you and i feel like we were uh sitting at that pizza place in vancouver together are we going to get there yes within 10 years yes all right so we, we both agree that the end goal is the same to recreate what we had in real life with uh, a vr device what i'm saying is on the path to getting there there's versions of like these cartoon avatars that have advantages over showing our actual real appearance in a in some kind of a call format. 
right? Like there's reasons to turn on the emoji over on Apple. There's reasons to put on a background filter and only show the foreground. Um, and eventually, once we have the full avatars, that will take up a large portion of our like time. But there's still reasons for us to like uh, hear each other, but not necessarily see each other, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, I'm just saying I don't buy this idea that someone will be in VR and another person will be on a phone. In that case, just use a phone yourself. If they're just going to still see you as a 2D rectangle and you're going to just see them as a virtual screen, you haven't really done. There's no real advantage there to either of you for one person to be in VR and one not. There are already advantages today for both people in VR. We have this shared sense of space right now. When I point to something on this screen, you can see me pointing at the exact position with my finger. We're not using kind of screen share and looking at this separate thing. If we have 10 people in here right now, we can all be in a circle and have this shared sense of space where if someone to our left is talking, we turn to our left and look at them here instead of having everyone simultaneously in our ear at once in a, in a way that just isn't, doesn't practically scale. If anyone's tried to use you know, Discord or TeamSpeak calls that, with more than five people, you can point to, to uh, objects in 3D space. We can have multiple things in the same space so that we have the comments here and our notes here. And this, you know, there are advantages to VR even without that. And sort of, you know, Shala asks here, if you can be face-to-face -face with someone, you won't want to do it through VR no matter what. You're absolutely right. The point of this technology is not to replace being face-to-face. -face. It's to replace when you can't and you're stuck with today's primitive technology of webcam grids and disembodied video calls. The point of this is to be the perfect remote connection technology, not to replace real-life connection, but to be more similar to it when you can't be in real life. When someone's 50 miles away or 500 miles away or 5,000 miles away to make it seem like you're almost in the same room as them. Yeah. Uh, very, very good explanation there of, of the kind of ideal use case. But I think I, I saw someone saying here that meta should focus on gaming and that's going to bring us back to the present. And that's kind of the key thing that I think we've been talking about five to 10 years out uh, on both the AR and VR timelines, what people really care about is the next two years. And let's talk about that next. Yeah, let's talk about Quest 3. So we've talked about that Quest Pro 2. Let's talk about what we've been showing on screen this entire time. And, and what the main focus of this report was is Quest 3. So from what we know so far from this report and from the apparent schematics leaked last year, Quest 3 will have the Quest Pro's pancake lenses, it will have a chip that is twice as powerful as the chip in Quest 2 and Quest Pro. It will have this much slimmer design than Quest 2 that The Verge reports Meta's head of VR set is twice as thin. So that's a real significant change in form factor. And we'll have these mixed reality sensors that enable a smart guardian that will obviously give you more awareness of your real space so you're not bumping into objects. And have this focus on mixed reality games as well as virtual reality. So it looks like this is going to be a bigger jump than Quest 1 to Quest 2 was, but at the trade-off that it's going to be a little bit more expensive. So it may start at around $500. Someone in the comments asked that specific question about whether this will have the Quest Pro lenses. Almost certainly, yes. If you look at the schematic, th those are the exact same shape as the Quest Pro lenses. We also heard Meta discuss the fact that they built up the supply chain for Quest Pro's lenses from scratch, and they referenced the idea of using those same lenses in different headsets in the future and with higher resolution displays. So that seems almost certain.
GB saying they'll need a hugging haptic so visits with mom can end with a nice hug. Uh, yeah, I do wonder about the long-term haptics, right? When when NPR is big enough to have a whole array of kind of haptic add-on accessories, like I think we're getting close. I've been I've been hypothesizing about that over my Twitter account, trying to imagine kind of like we're getting pictures here of what the core packages are going to look like for Quest Three and potentially right beyond Quest 3. Because that's our last show. We talked about this product that uh, was probably canceled in the high range above the Quest 3. It's starting to look like Quest 3 is going to be a little bit above where the Quest 2 was as an all-in package. And that could be leaving, number one, a space for Quest 2 to sell alongside Quest 3 for at least a little while, as well as a little bit more time to develop a true low-end VR headset that maybe uh, maybe cuts out a few things from this device, yet still provides a pretty compelling VR package. Uh, that's yeah, let's, I want to talk about that next. Well, let's talk a little bit about Quest 3 first. You know, you said we want to talk about the present. We want to talk about the next year. Let's let's talk about the present a little bit before we, we start talking about the future again. One of the things people have been saying in the comments here is this thing of, you know, Meta should focus on games. And a lot of people, when Quest Pro was announced in that entire Meta Connect presentation last year, rightly if you're a gamer criticized the fact that there was almost no focus on gaming there were a few games shown off for quest 2 and then quest pro was all about you know business and social vr and all of these productivity applications what it looks like is that meta has been holding back for quest 3 so what ian reported on a while ago is the fact that in the past four years meta has actually acquired eight game studios and it hasn't announced a game a single title formally from any of these studios Eight game studios, not a single title. Now, this Verge report says that Quest 3 should ship with 41 new apps and games. I think it stands to reason that at least some of those eight game studios, if not all of them, have been tasked over the past years to be building games for this headset. And if that's true, you know, we expect this Quest 3 to launch at the MetaConnect conference this year, which is usually almost, almost always in October. I expect that if that's the case, and if this Quest 3 is a lot more focused on gaming, like would make sense given the market, that will probably be a, a much more gaming-focused Connect this year, where they not only introduce this headset that is you know, primarily targeted around games, but they also introduce a lot of those games that they may have been making for it. And if that's not the case, then we obviously can say definitively that Meta you know, has, has very much so shifted away from gaming. But I think based on those studio acquisitions, it seems like it may be the case. So what I want to talk about here is a comment from Bosworth, and it's going to be in the transition space between this device and the next device that this comment is going to be really key. Bosworth in his AMA said there hasn't been great mixed reality available yet. There's been good pass through getting better, but really meta reality that we launched with Quest Pro is, in my opinion, the first really widely pra pra programmable accessible kit for doing that kind of work we're only going to make that more programmable and accessible to a broader audience as time goes on as we release more parts of the presence platform that lets you identify and tag automatically things and objects in the space 
and make use of them in your programs. I, we debated or talked internally about what sensors are going to be required. What, what can be dropped when they move past this device to achieve an even smaller price? And I think we're, what we're going to end up here and until we get more reporting, if, you know, if someone wants to give us more information to help inform where we're going, we're going to argue a lot about what's going to be in that package because making your environment programmable and accessible is is the huge untapped area of mixed reality it's the stuff that we expect apple it's stuff that i've heard microsoft might have been working on in the background right looking around your house and having your device automatically recognize those things and then giving those objects like a way to input back into your device information is it sounds like it's not going to work right but if it does work right it changes everything right you change the way you interact with the entire environment around you uh if it actually works decently um that's mixed reality to a level we haven't even begun to see right now uh you had a different thought process on what what comes after but i guess what what's getting me is is mixed reality important to the quest to quest 3 gaming so that's so when you say mixed reality the capabilities that this technology could provide if it does what we think it does are relevant to both vr and mr so in vr this smart guardian that this report suggests quest 3 will have if it has the technology to give you mixed reality automatically i.e it can bring in your desk, your couch, your walls, and your ceiling and know where they are, then you can move past this current guardian system we have today where you manually manually draw out a boundary. And it's kind of infinite from a floor to the ceiling to the sky. And there's no depth to it. There's no kind of three dimensions to it. If you have even the tiniest little bench or a tiniest little table that is only knee height in front of you, you have to mark that off as if it's an entire wall. If a smart guardian can do this all automatically, it means you actually have more space to use VR because when there's a, a part of your room, even say a bed that you could today reach your arms over but not your legs onto, that'll be something you can now use as VR space because you'll look down and see a mesh of where your bed is when you get near the boundary instead of seeing this gigantic infinite wall that would cover that space. So you'll not only have more awareness of your real room and potentially people and objects that come in. So someone walks into your space, you'll then see them in your space. A pet comes into your space, you'll see them. Someone's left something on the floor. You might see a holographic representation of it there. That's something I think VR gamers aren't really appreciating yet, that the current day Guardian is so limited that it cuts off the percentage of your room that you can even use VR gaming for. And that mixed reality technology will then be advantageous to even if you don't care at all about mixed reality. Mixed reality itself, though, I do think more people are going to care about than think they do, because most people haven't tried anything that's real mixed reality yet. The, the kind of examples that people have been given are literally just overlaying a VR game into your real world without any interaction. Some of the examples we've given in the past are VR games where, you know, your couch becomes a sandbag and the enemies are coming through your walls and your windows. Uh, things like, you know, your your house is infested by zombies is given the, is the most 
prominent example of this and say you have two quest threes well with this co-location technology you can see your friend or your family member with you in this mixed rally space and you're both working together to fight against these zombies that are invading your home you know there's so much potential here that i think people aren't really appreciating yet uh, just one little co- comment here some people are asking you know will quest three have a single panel and some people are saying that they won't want to buy it if it is a single panel i don't if you could kind of clarify that that'd be interesting to me i don't understand what inherently is bad about a single panel it it could be a reference to the ipd adjustment and and maybe not you know not representing or understanding the change in in approach there yeah so i think people need to understand that you can have adjustable lenses without adjustable panels as long as you have yes on quest 2 what we saw there was that that means that on the very furthest, widest IPDs, you lose a bit, of, a bit of screen space. But that just depends on the panel's aspect ratio. If you had a wider aspect ratio, single panel, you would be able to maintain field of view regardless of the IPD setting. All it really does is a single panel inherently is reduce the cost of the headset relative to what it would have been otherwise. And right. it obviously does reduce the panel utilization, so the percentage of the pixels in that panel that can be seen by each lens. But as long as the panel is sufficiently high resolution enough and sufficiently wide enough, it's not inherently worse than using a, for example, lower resolution dual panel solution. Yeah, commenters uh, echoing what you were saying there, uh, David. And thank you, Urban. Yeah, please do like this video. We have a lot of people tuned in. Appreciate everyone going through this with us. Uh, We do, uh, yeah, we are really covering a lot of ground here and there is a lot of interest in this specific subject that we're we're getting into right now now i've i've held off as much as i can on talking about this next next device (laughs) we've got to get to it though right i've resisted it and you've you've kept me on task but what i'm what i'm hearing or what i'm imagining we're going to see at the end of 2023 is the best device that Meta can make for VR gaming. And they're going to arm that device for VR gaming with the the fruits of eight different gaming studios who have all been building for years towards what I would imagine is this particular hardware. Uh, What I'm wondering about is what comes after. We've talked about for years now about how Meta shifts from controller tracking to supporting hand tracking and whether hand tracking gives you access to a um a wider range of like experiences um that's why i quoted what bosworth said in this ama turning the world around you into programmable and accessible and i've talked about this a little bit on twitter but it's kind of it's kind of silly that the dance, the dance genre of gaming had to be rebuilt from the ground up for VR, right? You had, you had people who were going and buying Dance Dance Revolution accessory mats for their game consoles of every kind and going and playing Dance Dance Revolution in their living rooms. And, you know, a, a hugely popular genre People are going and doing that. It's obviously got a market of some kind for those people who are going and doing that. And VR came along and said, actually, no, the only thing we can do is track your hands and your head. So you're going to have to remake every dance game 
around, you know, Macarena movements, right? You can't actually move your legs. Um, so what I'm getting at here is if we can get to truly tracked legs in any way, shape, or form, things change for fitness, for dance, for active VR gameplay, and uh, of all kinds, right? And if you do the programmable thing, what happens if you pick up everyday uh, weights, right? The objects that you use for weightlifting, for regular fitness, and they were tracked in the exact same way as your tracked keyboard. Would you have a compelling use case that sits in a different place from where the Quest does? Sure, but to be clear, are you talking about the reports of the cheaper headset coming next year? And if so, how, why would the cheaper headset have extra features compared to Quest 2? Or to computer to vision. No, I mean, they all get it. They'd all get it via computer vision and updates. What I'm saying is uh, maybe it ships uh, with a different controller or with no controller uh, at all. And you get a fitness device out of the box that's accessible to hand tracking. I, I guess what I'm saying is in between hand tracking and controller tracking, there's a genre of technology that doesn't exist yet. And that's uh, using the environment around you for specific actions. And I'm saying this next device could make use of that space to an incredible degree, even if it ships without controllers. We're going to return again to this again and again and again. Is Meta going to ship this without controllers? Yeah, so let's just completely start this section as we should by saying what the report actually said and then kind of separate to what our speculation is. So to, to be clear, in this report... It simply says that Meta plans to release a cheaper than Quest 3 accessible headset in 2024, with Quest 3 coming 2023 this year. And the quote that reportedly came from Meta's head of VR is, the goal for this headset is very simple. Pack the biggest punch we can at the most attractive price point in the VR consumer market. So that's what we know. And I will talk about speculation. So yes, I do, I do <laughs> most think- Most attractive, yeah, okay. Yeah, so I, I do think that what you're talking about is going to be a huge part of the future of VR, being able to bring in arbitrary controllers that are just real objects in your room. So that, that you, a controller doesn't have to be this electronic device that is specifically designed for VR. It's just arbitrary computer vision tracking of anything. I, do, I don't think that that's going to be happening in the next few years. So I think that's going to take a lot longer than that and i think if it does happen it would come in you know at the quest 3 level it wouldn't make sense for the cheaper headset to then have this technology presumably you know we need to talk about what is this cheaper headset going to trade off to get to that cheaper price because it's hard to imagine what do you take out of quest 3 while still having delivering and, the key features and we don't know what's in quest 3 definitively yet right like that's this the, sure. so bosworth in his ama you know to his credit says people speculate too much on their roadmap uh and then we just spent an hour uh getting into it in depth so fair we don't know anything but we've got sure. a pretty good picture coming together and we're starting to think beyond that right yeah i think that you know that you need to have a healthy middle ground here you can't say we know definitively but you also can't say we have no idea because there's you know i see some people saying you know we don't know like let's be real the schematics that were leaked by the same leaker of Quest Pro a few months before release were almost 
I almost exactly right. The only difference was that they took out something, the depth sensor, in the last few months. So every other aspect of it, from the exact shape and internal design of its controllers to the headset to exactly where the wires would be in which places and where the buttons would be, all those were accurate. And the same leaker comes along and then releases the apparent schematics of Quest 3. So it's possible like last time we'll see things taken out. But I think, you know, we know the general design of this headset. And from, you know, this from this leak, we have, you know, the general specs in terms of, you know, twice the power, half the thinness. I just I just wonder if, you know, we, we have, according to that schematic, Quest 3 getting a depth sensor. I can't imagine a headset that is designed to be as cheap as possible also having that depth sensor. And I think that means that it may have either no mixed reality focus or a stripped down mixed reality focus. I wonder if that quote is very specific. It says the VR consumer market and the quote that was given about Quest 3 in this report was all about mixed reality. I wonder if what we'll see is Quest 2 sold alongside Quest 3 as a VR only headset and then this cheaper headset come along as the replacement for that Quest 2 price point. Because there are so many games and apps on the Quest store, including Meta's own that it's trying to push so hard, Horizon Worlds, including the likes of VR Chat and Rec Room and Population One and all of these other VR-only games that the only advantage to those mixed reality sensors is going to be a better awareness of the world around you. It's not going to actually you know, change anything other than enable these new types of mixed reality experiences. And if it's if it is the case that to do the mixed reality they want to requires that expensive depth sensor, then I don't see how that also happens in a cheaper product. Yeah, so let's move to controllers and how they relate to this, right? There is a relatively inexpensive set of controllers that ship with the Quest 2 today. Uh, they're tracked via lights, uh, lights we can't see with our eyes, but the cameras can see. And that's that's how those cheaper AA battery-powered controllers are tracked. Then there's these higher-end ones that are sold with the Quest Pro. So $300 of the seven of the $1,000, so $700, uh, you could think of, uh, you, could, you could think of your $1,000 investment in the Quest Pro as $700 going to the headset and $300 going to the Touch Pro controllers and some portion of, of each of those going to like the charging pads, right? That's how much you've got a charging pad that comes in the box too. Um, I'm having trouble deciding whether Quest 3 is likely to ship with the Touch Pro controllers, the Quest 2 controllers, or some third in-between option that takes the inside-out tracking and gets there. Uh, and the reason is, like, why not just, you know, keep selling those Touch Pro controllers at a lower price and get us to get get to the five or $600 that this Quest 3 launches at with these next high-end class controllers? Because they are incredibly expensive inherently. They have each controller. Each controller has a chip that is more powerful than the chip that was in the Oculus Go headset. These are inherently expensive devices that use multiple cameras, full-on system-on-chip processors, high-end haptics. You know, it's got three different haptic points along it. And it's just the whole point of these was to design the best controller without thinking about price. If you use your same equation that you were using a second ago where you say the Quest Pro is $700 and then the controllers are $300 to get you that $1,000, you're then saying that this Quest 3 that's supposed to have this 
you know, state-of-the-art processor, this depth sensor, these pancake lenses, all of this technology are supposed to then only be $200 of the price equation. That doesn't even make sense. I doubt they can even make the headset for $200, never mind, you know, sell it at a, at a not incredibly massive loss at that. It's just maybe, as you say, we will get a controller that is essentially something in between the Quest 2 and Quest Pro controllers, something that maybe maybe say has one camera and a very stripped down processor so that when it does go out of the headset view it has low quality positional tracking i could see that happening but i just think it's completely not viable to see pro controllers come into a 500 dollars total price point and it doesn't add enough to even make it worth it like yes the pro controllers are great i love them but at the end of the day they're not massively game-changingly seismically shifting you know it's not like you go back to a controller like the Pico 4 controller and massively miss it other than in some obscure use cases where your he- your controller's going out of your headset okay. view. Okay, okay, you can, you've convinced me. You've won. All right. So, we're going to get let's let's imagine re redesigned lighted controllers with also a camera on them, you know, a single camera on them, and that's what ships with this uh $500 Quest Pro, you know, Quest 3, right? This next generation, the replacement for the Quest 2. It goes slightly up on the price to uh, $500 as the entry point for great gaming. Uh, in VR is, is kind of the pitch that they come with. Is there going to be a version of that device sold where you can get the Quest Pro at like 800 or 700 Could you go and get a Quest 3 with, and swap out the controllers and get a higher-end like package with the better controllers? I guess it depends on will enough people buy it that it makes sense to actually sell a, a skew of it as in, you know, a separate box that has that with it. Probably not. And, you know, to be clear, when you say, you know, Quest 3 will, I was saying maybe. I still expect, to be honest, that it will just have no cameras at all and these controllers will just be, you know, yeah. IRLEDs like before. Because, again, it's a $500 okay, package. That that new chipset that- is going to be the main cost in this headset. It is you know, we're talking about a three-year jump and a doubling of performance. And so, if you look at that quote that, you know, Meta's head of VR reportedly said, they said, you know, we have to prove to people that all this power, all these new features are worth it. It's it's funny. Uh, you know, I think, so as we're making this discussion, uh, I would imagine people at Meta, even perhaps, you know, people that work with Bosworth himself, to be watching this show and our discussion in your discussion and our comments to inform some of their decision making, how they think about this, right? We're, we're far enough ahead that they could still make and incorporate some of this feedback. But in my head, uh, you know, Go, I was excited for Go before it came out, right? And now it's one of my most hated, you know, I joke about all the time as being this, you know, I was wrong, right? I was so, so wrong in being excited for that device before it came out. Uh, Quest is the thing I was excited about. But then I got, you know, it's so heavy. Quest 2 gets closer. We're getting closer. We've talked about all these things. Pancake optics, mixed reality, all moving things forward considerably. Um, At the end of this, there's two competing uses for VR that I I get excited about that, that, that like... I want to be able to put a VR headset in a case that's very, very small and have that case go in my bag, have that VR headset be completely protected, right? I, there's no dust or anything going to get into it. I pull that headset off and now I've got a communications device with some simple games like Cubism or Puzzling Places. 
uh, the the hand tracking lab game. Um, a, a good you know a couple dozen of those would be a great thing that I would love to have in that case in a bag. I would also love to have in that case in a bag two touch pro controllers. Right, they're the best. I love those controllers. They're so slim, and they feel like they could fit right next to a VR headset case. Right. What I, what I feel like I'm describing are like the future of standalone VR, right? Like you've got a gaming system with those two controllers, a very slim headset, and you've got a great gaming experience in VR. You take those controllers away and you've got a, a device that could use, you could be used for workouts if you're just lifting the weights that are around you already, or uh, could be used as that fundamental communication device that I'm talking about without, or, or simple light games. Are those two two things I'm describing going to happen in the next few years, or am I am I describing the future and and I'm I'm wrong here? I think you know I would just point out that the workout doesn't have to be weights. That's something that obviously requires tracking of arbitrary objects. But there's so much you can do with cardio, which is your hands that are going to that's going to be available in the near term, and that's what we've seen all of these other apps really focus on so far. It hasn't been weights yet because you can't do that arbitrary tracking but look at supernatural look at all of the other fitness apps they're all very much so focused on what is possible today which is you know cardio and uh stretching and things like that i it's interesting to think when do we get to that point as you say you can sell the headset without the controllers that it's fully able to be used i i suspect like i've said before that quest 3 will probably have good enough hand tracking based on how good Quest Pro's hand tracking is without any depth sensor. If you then double the performance of the chip, if you add higher resolution cameras and a depth sensor, I can't see how you don't get the hand tracking that's good enough to be for the device to be sold. It just comes down to when does the store have enough content? Because you're still talking about a headset that if you sell it without controllers, you're still selling it for $400. And you have to have enough content for that $400 to justify it. You know, imagine right now if you were to take a Quest Pro or a Quest 2 and every time you opened an app, went to open an app on the store or purchase an app on the store that required controllers, you got this pop-up that says, you know, you must pay $100 for controllers to continue to use this app. You would have a very limited headset. There are only a very tiny fraction of the Quest store today supports hand tracking. It needs to be something like 30, 40, 50%. But there is a chicken and egg problem there, which is, while developers know that every user has a controller, that's going to be what developers focus on, and especially while hand tracking is wildly imperfect. But you know, when you get to the point where hand tracking is great, do you get more developers focusing on that, or does Meta need to announce, you know, next year we're going to release a headset without it, and is that what gets developers to have to kind of incorporate it? We have a very large audience today. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Thank you, Jenna. Hello. Hi. Hi, Opsar. Um, how about the mirror-based body tracking? Is that still in the works? Yeah, I think that's. this is where I wanted to take that conversation next as far as like accessories, right? Uh, Supernatural, before, right before they got acquired, they, they put up a, a merch store. And they had on that merch store a like a yoga mat, a circular yoga mat that basically went on the floor directly under you. And it's about it's about the same size as the circle that you have in Pistol Whip, right? It, when you go into Pistol Whip and center your space, you get a circle of space that tells you exactly what's, what's safe. Um, and this mat goes right at the center of that. And 
it's a cheap, you know, it's it's just a yoga mat. It's it's completely uh, inert, like it's not active in any way. But if you're playing with your socks on, playing bare bare feet, you can feel where the limits of your room are just with this basic mat. There's something if you're going to work out and, and do a lot of fitness to collect your sweat, right? You can drip onto the mat. Uh, it won't hope hypothetically won't slip. So you know that that's safe. And other people looking at you playing in VR can know that you're that's where you're going to be swinging your arms wildly. So maybe you could step out uh, without, you know, you could have safety for everyone involved without even having high end mixed reality sensors. Um, if you've all, we've talked about the cameras on these controllers potentially being used for some sort of body tracking. But uh, I loved your explanation that, like, you don't necessarily even need to track objects to do a lot of, you know, fitness. There's a lot of software that they could build just around the current uh, kind of like APIs, what they're what they're talking about here. Um, I'm still. Yeah, I, I appreciate your chicken and the egg explanation, but I I still wonder, like. If you want to get to three hundred or two hundred dollars for a VR headset, is Meta thinking that large by twenty twenty four? Like, are 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 they going to get there to two hundred or three hundred? Like, those are the gap there is so huge. Oculus Go got there four years ago at this point, uh, more than that. Why? When are we ever going to get back to two hundred dollars for a whole VR system with this hand tracking feature that? I don't know, cubism and puzzling places and a half a dozen others like that would be pretty cool. Like you can spend a lot of hours with those games. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. I think it's just, you know, for, for extended seated use, you need the headset to be as slim and light as we expect Quest 3 to be with those pancake lenses. For the hand tracking to be good enough, it needs to have these advanced sensors. The pro- that's the problem, that to get hand tracking that's high quality enough, you can't really put that into a headset that's cheap enough to appeal to the people who would only want to use hand tracking. What I think we may need to get to is the point where purely with computer vision, without depth sensors, with even just one or two simple cameras in the headset, you can do all of this hand tracking sufficiently well and the mixed reality that people would want to use. Because let's be real, a lot of the hand tracking content is going to be really suitable for mixed reality. I I, I think it's I don't think anyone would disagree that that's going to happen eventually. Meta is going to get to the point where it sells a headset for a two hundred dollars or so, without a hand track, without controller included in the box, the question is just: Is that happening in the next two years, or is it something that's going to happen in three or four years? And I think just based on the content and the, the quality of hand tracking required, I think we're going to get there in three and four. But there is a possibility that that is what this twenty twenty four headset is meant to be. The problem I just mm-hmm. wonder then is: Then why on earth wouldn't it just be Quest three sold without controllers? Yeah, that is it's it's a really fundamental question. And I I I wonder about sort of tuning the whole experience around fitness being the thing to turn it around, right? Like active like this is something that's built for you to sweat inside is not is not something I've seen associated with, with VR marketing too much uh so far. And I <laughs> I wonder if they could change things. Um I saw Thomas, uh the creator of cubism in our comments saying they'd be all for it yeah i appreciate that so uh, thank you for tuning in uh cubism has a lot of love uh you know amongst staff we, we, play, we spend a lot of time with that game and 
it's at the forefront of a lot of the things you can do with these headsets. So I can't wait to see. I, I, I do expect that game to be sort of a launch title, uh, so to speak, in, on some platforms going forward. Yeah, it's a perfect example of a game that works great with hand tracking and works great in mixed reality. You know, there's not necessarily a, a compelling reason to have a virtual background in that game unless, you know, you don't want to be in your room, you want to be somewhere else. A lot of people will want to stay in their own room while having that. Uh, Shal Alaska in our comments is pointing out that VR chat already does a lot of these future sounding things. People do full body workout classes every day of the week. In a way, that's a good point. In a way, it isn't. Because yes, that's true. But the ca- there's an important caveat there that I wonder why you're not pointing out. The people that do that do it with by strapping hundreds of dollars of equipment to their body that with each piece of equipment needing to be charged. And these hundreds of dollars of equipment are tracked by two at the minimum $150 base stations that are placed up in the corner of their room and plugged into power sockets. So we're, what we're talking about is making that available in a headset that costs less than those base stations alone. Not, you know, there's a lot of amazing technology that exists today, even outside VR for people who can afford that kind of money. But the, what when it really becomes a mass market, the developers can build content around and make a, a sustainable business is when millions of people can afford it. So I'm seeing people talk about the controllers and using them in different ways. And we've talked about this idea in the past, but I, we still don't have uh, it as a mode of input yet to use one controller in hand and then have hand tracking in the other. Like that's not supported system or even app, like app by app yet. But there's plenty of games that totally support single-handed input. And obviously I'll, I'll fill in the, the bingo card for everyone out there walk about mini golf uh is that key game where you hold the 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 club in one hand and then have an other hand that should be able to point to things in the world but can't right now right um that is that's a huge input but i love the idea that if if you could mount the controller on like a like a stand facing your place while you're playing then you've got full body tracking with a with a single controller in your hand. Yeah, it's in, it's fascinating to think whether it would actually have the processing power on board to do that. Um, you know, obviously it's designed for just positional tracking, which is you know slam simultaneous location localization and mapping. Uh, that's something that is a lot less computationally expensive than doing body tracking. And the problem with any single perspective. Uh, technology like that where you have a camera in the corner of your room is if you turn around then it loses the ability to do that kind of high quality body tracking it brings you back to this playstation vr1 or you know oculus rift cv1 out of the box experience where you have a a specific direction you have to face for tracking to work properly ideally if you did have an external camera system you would need two on the other sides of your room ironically getting somewhere (laughs) close to lighthouses where you have two different cameras or even the original oculus sensors the original oculus sensors going full circle back to constellation yes. one that way though you obviously would get this a much greater advantage to it you know it would still you know you get this full body tracking from any aspect but you know some people are in in the comments are suggesting that the idea of inside out body tracking is impossible as in the headset will never be able to do it which is fascinating because that's reportedly what apple's headset does reportedly apple's headset will use downwards facing cameras to track your legs now we've pointed out that you know that one of the huge skepticisms around this for me is different body shapes you know not to be insensitive but there are people's body whose body shapes will make that 
seemingly impossible to track their legs from that position. Santa Claus? Uh, You're telling me Santa Claus can't use full body tracking? (laughs) Yes, exactly. That seems skeptical. But I do think the solution may come from what you're saying, controllers. Not the, the Quest Pro controllers we have today, but if you had a camera in the handle of the controller facing towards you, and then you fuse that with the headset uh, cameras. So you have a downwards facing camera in your headset, you have a camera on each handle and controllers, and you have a system that uses machine learning to fuse all of that data together. I think you may be able to get a fairly plausible full body tracking, but then you have the other problem of what happens when you're using hand tracking. You know, so do you then, it, it's a it's a nightmare of a question that will take a long time to solve, I think. So the fact that our commenters are all talking about beer bellies uh, and getting your meaning uh, now brings me back to the Apple Watch and everything we were discussing before, right? Where Tim Cook has leaned the entire product line into tracking fitness to an incredible degree, right? They've got Fitness Plus service, right? I, I, I have to return to this idea that uh, you know, I did. I did ask Andrew Bosworth this question specifically in that AMA, and he did respond to it uh, specifically in saying that they are going to incorporate supernatural and within into their, you know, earlier product plans and start, um, you know, incorporating that into their their designs going forward. Uh, is there are there any comments you want to respond to? Well, all right. So the the connection there is right, like. Uh, if you focus on fitness, you can sell to people who want to get rid of those beer bellies, right? Like, like that's what the Apple Watch has leaned into as a use case. Uh, and I, I think there's plenty of gamers uh, who, who could, you know, find that marketing message uh, reaching them <laughs> uh, if it's worded right. Uh, any comments you want to respond to before we bring up one last thing? I was just going to kind of agree with your core sentiment here that body tracking if it was built into a popular VR system, would massively increase the potential applications developers could build. I want to be clear that I'm not understating the potential. It would be incredible. As you say, there are so many different types of movements and games and apps today that are just not possible in VR because we're stuck with this head and hands paradigm. And so, you know, I think when the first headset that does come along and deliver all this is going to be something that a lot of developers flock to that have just kind of given up on current VR for that reason. Yeah, well, I think that's moving to the end of the show. Um, what's what's this, Heaney? Uh, this is you plugging your PlayStation VR 2 into a PC and it's simply seeing the USB data lanes and having no idea what to do with them. All right. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you for that analysis, David Heaney. I, I really appreciate that. Um, I want to say thank you to everyone for tuning in. We've had a wonderful week of news. Um, we're, we're heading towards GDC. That's just two weeks away. Uh, it's going to be a massive event. Uh, I am, my, my inbox is overwhelmed with kind of like the, the, the things that are getting planned, the demos that are getting planned. I haven't really seen an event reach out to me with VR content at this scale basically since before COVID. So it's going to be a, a big event for VR in general. Can't wait to see uh, everyone out there that I meet face-to-face in San Francisco. Um, thank you, everyone, for giving us your time. And in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Thanks again, everyone. We'll see you again next week. Great to have the in-depth discussion here. That was a lot of stuff to talk about this week. <laughs>